All right, let us do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for would-be Chinese Walt Disney's. Or is it masochists? With the news that a Chinese businessman has announced plans to build a replica of the Titanic as a theme park. The simulation of hitting an iceberg will be so realistic, says Su Shaojun. The visitors will think, the water will drown me. I must escape. was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for would-be Chinese Walt Disney's. With the news that the week before, the Tibetan village of Dukazong was entirely destroyed by a massive fire. The village was part of a province that changed its name to Shangri-La after the fictional paradise described in the 1933 James Hilton novel. They did so specifically to attract tourists, and critics say the pursuit of development is to blame for its demise. The 1,300-year-old town was made up of wooden buildings set close together, and Lai Gang, head of cultural heritage in China, said planners had abandoned safety precautions and squeezed in extra buildings to accommodate tourists. Reportedly, that let the fire spread easily and left no room for fire engines to enter. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for having a pet that can talk with the news that a driver stopped by police in Mexico City was ratted out by his pet parrot, which reportedly screamed, he's drunk, he's drunk. Now, reportedly, a subsequent test showed that the bird was correct, but we do have to question here at Radio Parallax the wisdom of police authorities taking tips from talking parrots. They can't really talk, you know. All right, here's two from the Only in America file that are pretty irresistible. First, in the wake of an ACLU lawsuit in Oklahoma regarding the placement of a Ten Commandments monument on the Capitol grounds, a prankster group calling itself the Satanic Temple has now unveiled their proposal for another monument to be erected outside the state capitol, a seven-foot-tall goat-head demon relaxing on a pentagram-engraved throne with smiling children at his side. While we await the decision of the court on this particular matter, we would note that um, Robert Knight in the Washington Times, while admitting that uh, you know erecting a tribute to Beelzebub is not really the Satanic Temple's aim, he said, yeah, it's, it's disturbing to see liberals rallying around Satanists, They've been so blinded by the ideology of equality in which same-sex marriages are identical to the real thing that they now believe God and Satan, good and evil, are the flip sides of each other, roughly equal. Well, Mr. Knight, we don't think so. All right, Only in America Part 2, 
Apparently an Oregon pimp who used his Air Jordan sneakers to stomp a client's face is now suing Nike for failing to warn him that its product was, quote, potentially dangerous, unquote. Sergio Giro Clardi, that's his name, who was sentenced to 100 years in prison, said the bulky Jordans should come with a warning label since they inflict so much damage and were deemed, quote, dangerous weapons, unquote, by prosecutors. His sentence, Clardy added, has caused him a great deal of mental suffering. Now let's do a bit of follow-up. We mentioned a few weeks ago in this program that uh, we considered that while traveling, one probably should now pack along an LED bulb. Regrettably, in my packing for this trip to the Caribbean, I neglected to do so. And would note that while we were trying to record last week's Radio Parallax program in a room in St. Kitts, lit by compact fluorescent bulbs, the only way it was possible for this correspondent to actually read in this incredibly dim light was to whip his LED flashlight out of the uh, suitcase and put it to use. I will be packing a bulb in the future. And we also will talk a bit about LEDs in the future because this is a fascinating technology, which we admit to a very incomplete understanding of. Also by way of follow-up, and not exactly from the we-told-you-so department, we do have word that China's Jade Rabbit Moon Rover apparently died in the lunar night after a, quote, abnormality, unquote. According to the Chinese news agency Xinhua, it's been reported that the State Administration of Science, Technology, and Industry for National Defense is now saying that the rover was having trouble due to the, quote, complicated lunar surface environment, unquote. News of the rabbit's troubles did prompt a big response on China's, China's microblogging site Weibo, where folks were praising the little rover's efforts. Apparently, in response... Xinhua posted an article in Chinese as if U2, which is, I guess, the name for the Jade Rabbit rover, was talking to the Chinese people. And I quote, The bad news is, I was supposed to go to sleep this morning, but before I went to sleep, my masters found some technical control abnormalities. Some parts of my body won't listen to their commands. Now my masters are hard at work thinking of ways to fix me. Even so, I know it's possible I won't be able to endure this night. I originally thought I could hop around here for three months. But if this chip is to end prematurely, I'm not afraid. Whether or not they can fix me, I know that my breakdown can provide my masters with a lot of valuable information and experience. Well, yeah. I suppose the rover might have said that if it could. It might well also have said, I've fallen and I can't get up. Now, as far as radio pilots can determine, rumors that the rover actually drove off a cliff on the moon are, are unsubstantiated. All right, more follow-up. We talked to David Lynch uh, many moons ago in this program about his skepticism about smart meters, and he may have been onto something. Writing in the Dallas Morning News, James Osborne notes that to hear cybersecurity companies tell it, the U.S. energy industry is a ticking time bomb. Smart electric meters in the sides of houses can be entryways for cyber terrorists to shut off a city's power grid. Remote-controlled valves and oil refineries can be manipulated to cause costly spills. This is a story we'll have to keep our eye on. Something else we're keeping our eye on is the fact that our own Milky Way's supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy is uh, apparently did not eat up a 
gas cloud moving in its direction as some thought it might a few months ago, but they're still thinking that this may happen in March of this year. A gas cloud, which they've called G2, was discovered in 2011, and uh, astronomers determined that it would skim very close to the black hole's maw. Apparently, telescopes in Chile are revealing that the G2 is getting stretched out by the black hole's powerful gravity as it creeps closer to its doom. Stay tuned. And some other astronomy follow-up. Bob Berman, who uh, was a guest on this program last year. He writes the Strange Universe uh, column in um, Astronomy Magazine. Had a little item I did not notice in the first pass through the article. This article in particular was about pi. And we talked a little about uh, pi, 3.14159265365, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We noted, as did Bob Berman, that uh, in real life, you know, although people calculate pi out to a million places, uh, in practical terms, you really only need a few decimal places. A few meaning, you know, eight or ten. Fifteen or sixteen if you want to really be precise. But, uh, what struck me about rereading this little piece was that Albert Einstein made an unusual observation looking at maps. He seems to have been the first person to point out that rivers obey pi. Surprisingly, or at least surprisingly to this correspondent, uh, you'll find that if you take the river's straight line distance from its source to the sea and then divide that into the loopy path that it actually takes on the ground, it will roughly equal pi. How about that? And in an item that probably makes radio parallax unique in the United States, if not the world, we will now enter into our third discussion of the mantis shrimp. As reported last week from St. Kitts, uh, Dylan, while diving, stuck his hand into a crevice and had his thumb split open by the hammer-like appendage of the mantis shrimp. It probably demonstrates the fastest acceleration anywhere in the animal kingdom, which gives it quite a bit of oomph. We were first drawn to this strange creature when we discussed him with Ivan Schwab, talking about uh, the evolution of the eye throughout the animal kingdom. Dr. Schwab pointed out that the mantis shrimp has something like 16 photoreceptors, which caused us to speculate at what kind of technicolor world the mantis shrimp is looking at. Well, apparently someone decided to test this. Scientists sat down to see what degree of color discrimination the mantis shrimp could make and compare it to our own photoreceptors. And it turns out that even though they have more receptors in their eye than we do, 16 versus 3, they're apparently no better at discriminating colors than we are and perhaps maybe a little worse. So the question remains, why do they have all those damn receptors? And our answer is, we don't know. Now, while we were gone, we noticed that... Uh, Still hasn't been much rain here in Northern California. In fact, in flying out, headed for Miami from SFO, I was able to get a good look at the Sierra Mountain Range to note that pff, there's no snow, which now has the Roman Catholic bishops in California encouraging prayers for rain. Radio Parallax adopts the policy that, A, it couldn't hurt. And if I may digress yet again in this program... I would take a detour back to the Dominican Republic to note that I did indeed go whale watching out in, in Samana Bay with uh, the couple from Indiana, Dorinda and Jim. I joined them, by the way, on uh, Victoria Marine, which uh, is a whale watching outfit. It's owned and operated by Canadian biologist Kim Bedal. 
Although she admitted on the way of watching she's really not a biologist, she was a scuba instructor. To her credit, she was, evidently the, she was evidently the first person to recognize back in the 80s that there was a great scientific and economic importance to Semana's whales. She uses two large two-decked boats with a capacity for 60 people. I do have to note that uh, when we were out looking for the whales, there were a lot of other boats out there that looked extremely cramped and uncomfortable. Part of the reason they were so cramped and uncomfortable was that the people on board were just so bloody fat. I mean, evidently there were a lot of people from uh, from the Midwest there that were just, uh, they, they were packing on a lot of extra pounds, let's put it that way. We should note, too, that the humpback whales migrate from all over the Atlantic Ocean to come down and, uh, and mate in the, in the bay. Their uh, peak, it turns out, is next month, so we were a bit early, but we did see uh, quite a number of whales, and it was an enjoyable experience. Although I would note, it was not superior to the whale-watching experience, which you can gain, dear listener, right here in Santa Cruz when they're uh, migrating down to Baja. You can also catch them in San Diego and a lot of other ports uh, up and down our coast. But uh, after driving that night before and arriving after dark and having a bit of difficulty locating lodging, I realized that to get to Punta Cana after a four and a half hour drive, I was going to have to be on the road by hopefully 2.33. As it was, I was back, money in hand, car keys in hand at 3.15. Based on the terrible maps that I had at hand, it looks as though the last uh, 30 to 40 minutes of the journey was going to have to be at night in unknown conditions again, which was intimidating, I don't mind telling you. My Indiana couple pointed out that they were assured by Dominicans that you just you just don't want to be driving at night. Somebody told them that, look, I'm a native here, I'm a Dominican, and I don't drive at night. Why should that be, you ask? Well, let me just say that when you're driving on a reasonably narrow road, not 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 terribly narrow, but narrower than we're used to, and you're competing with people on motor scooters, weaving in and out, people walking across the street in front of you. People putt-putting along with tricycles with, uh, with, with, a, with trailers on the back filled with coconuts or whatever. And the possibility that any or all of them might be drunk. Well, it just makes the experience kilometer after kilometer like the old Driver's Ed movie. Hazards just keep appearing right in front of you. I forgot to mention that when I got lost at first, because... When I got the rental car and the guy whipped out a not-so-good map but started drawing on the map for me how I needed to take an exit after going over this bridge and that would lead me to the signs that would lead me to Semana, I, I knew it might be dicey. And sure enough, when I got to the moment where I was thinking, he couldn't have meant that street, I realized a split second later that, nope, he sure did. Then I was trapped on the autopista. And, and I do mean trapped. I, was, I wanted to go north, not west, but there were no exits, kilometer after kilometer after kilometer. So finally, when I got an exit, I got off and thought, I'm going to drive north for a while, then work my way back east and pick up the north-south highway, which sounds good in theory. But well, let's just say it didn't work out so well in practice. It would turn out later that the first gas station I asked in did, did give directions that were probably the best of the five sets I was to get. But when I got to what was, I thought the intersection he told me to turn right in, there were, there were no signs to clarify it. 
My car was swarmed by a bunch of guys selling this, that, and the other. One of them had a handful of windshield wipers. And with the hands of a magician, he reached over and popped one of mine right off and offered me another one just for sale. And I yelled at him that, no, put it back, put it back. And, and he did, after substituting a really crappy one for the perfectly good one I had. And that did complicate uh, matters as I was getting into town right at nightfall as there was a bit of rain. <laughs> all of a sudden, I had smears all over my windshield. The point of all this is that as I was making the strike for what was going to be a longer drive all the way to Punta Cana, I wasn't sure what I was going to encounter. And I was going to do it, but I thought, well, this, 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 this could be a little dangerous. Now, Jim and Lucinda were aware of most of these facts about how things could go wrong, and they're apparently a very devout couple. And uh, as I was getting into the car, they just said, well, let's pray for Dr. Doug. And all this correspondent is pretty agnostic. I would say that uh, if someone makes you an offer like that under these circumstances, my dear listener, I say take it. Because I dare say, perhaps in some part due to their prayers, the, the trip down to Punta Cana went very, very smoothly. They built a huge freeway out to where these, uh, this new development is. Not, of course, that they put adequate signs up in the end. But at least I wasn't dodging push carts and the like uh, for, you know, 30 kilometers after dark. Although I did have one brief moment where I, it was a toll road, by the way. I did have one brief moment after paying the toll, tooling along, and realizing this is a really good highway and the traffic has really been diminished. And my God, this is just like being in California at this point. The exact moment I thought that, a guy on horseback <laughs> rode across the freeway in front of me. Anyway, to come back to uh, Sacramento, I note that while we were gone, uh, there was a heat wave. I knew something was up when I arrived here at home in Sacramento after driving from the airport up Highway 80 past Davis, etc. I got out of the car and it was 50 degrees. Holy moly, you think something's up with global warming? At any rate, one thing that was not missed, certainly not by me, and I think you'll agree, Mr. McMillan, uh, you, didn't, you didn't miss the, uh, the goings-on of Chris Christie, did you? I did not miss that. Yeah. Yeah, in the airport in St. Martin, I noted that there, were, there was uh, this talk about Chris Christie this and Chris Christie that, and I thought, God dang, this is what passes for news. But as is often the case, I think the best summary of the Chris Christie uh, follies comes from Tom Tomorrow, also known as Dan Perkins in This Modern World, which I think I will just borrow from. Panel number one, Chris Christie looking at his staff. Hello, I'm Governor Chris Christie. I'm afraid I have no idea who you people are. Woman, I'm your deputy chief of staff. Man, and I'm one of your appointees at the Port Authority. Also, we went to high school together. Christie, what do you know? Small world, isn't it? Third panel. Well, you look like you're working on something important. Carry on. I'm sure I don't need to know the details. <laughs> Woman, absolutely not, sir. Fourth panel. Christy, but just in case anybody asks, I'm definitely not a vindictive bully seething with barely contained rage. Politicians who cross me have nothing to fear. Woman staffer. Of course not. Man, it goes without saying. Next to last panel. All right, I'll be in my office if you need me, whoever you are. Woman, not to worry, sir. This state pretty much runs itself. Final panel. Woman, okay, back to work on our inexplicable personal vendetta against the mayor of Fort Lee. Man, the governor must never know. It would make him very sad. Yeah, and that's about right.
And on that note, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We've got plenty more in segment three. Do not go away. <laughs> 